listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. The book of Luke is where we're studying. Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, hey, you've got your Bibles. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be. If you don't have uh, your scripture copy with you, I would encourage you, bring that. You know, you say, Pastor Kevin, is that, aren't you getting a little legalistic? No, I don't think so. You know, I think pick up your Bible and bring it if you've got one that you use. I like to use a paper copy. If you like to read it on your phone, then have a Bible app that you use often, that you read daily. Uh, We've got uh, a church app, the Oasis Church app. If you don't have that, Google Play Store and the uh, the iPhone iStore, whatever that, Apple Store, they've got it. Download that. You can follow along. version also has a means for you to do it. But we'll throw it up on the screen so that you can read along. Luke chapter 7, uh, we're going to begin in verse number 36. The scripture says, one of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. He invited him to his home. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Jesus said, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful forgiveness that we see in this passage. Help us as we break it down to understand it correctly as much as humanly possible. 
And then, God, we ask that you will help us to apply it directly to our life as words spoken directly from your Son to our hearts today. For in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. We're going to see three folks today. We're going to see a broken sinner. We're going to see a pompous critic. And obviously, we're going to see a forgiving Savior. Three points of view in this section. Three folks seeing one another and thinking certain things about one another. I want to see how that applies to us. First, we see the the broken sinner. It was a woman of the city, verse 37 tells us, who was a sinner. This verse doesn't tell her tell us what her sin was it just says she was a woman of the city who was a sinner now a lot of commentators a lot of folks have thought well this must mean that she was probably a prostitute and and you know what that's very likely but we see this woman in the scene and we see her in what seems to be a very odd place Now, we've already learned and heard from the Pharisees. Who are these Pharisees? These are the the upper crust religious elite. These are they who who have taken on the, the mantle of obeying the law better than everyone else. And they've taken the opportunity to, to take the law and break it down into, into regulations that can't be honestly maintained by anyone. But they've codified it and they've come up with hundreds of regulations based on the law of Moses. And these Pharisees are the ones who are holding the people accountable to their actions, to their words, to their thoughts, to the way that they worship, to where they worship. And they also keep them abreast on how much God loves them based on how the Pharisees see them, if they are rich, if they are in good health, if they are are experiencing the earthly blessings that, that we might be able to identify, then they would concur that God loves you and is blessing you. But those who are outcast, those who are sick, those who are impoverished, those who had, had, had bad circumstances to happen and to put them on the outside of the, of the religious elite, they would call those cursed of God outside of his umbrella of blessing. These were the Pharisees. And you would think, how did this woman get into the home of this Pharisee who's holding a meal and has invited Jesus to come in? Well, through my reading, I discovered that it wouldn't have been all that unusual if a famous rabbi or some traveling teacher was in a home. The the structure of hospitality in the Middle East is way different than ours. It would have been very normal for the the host home to allow folks to just come in and stand along the walls, maybe even sit over in the corner and listen to the one who is teaching. Take in those things that are being taught. Now, chances are great if Simon the Pharisee had realized that she got in the door, he probably would have tried to run her out. But I'm imagining that she snuck in with the crowd following this traveling rabbi from Nazareth who was a miracle worker and teaching things they had never heard with authority that no one had ever seemed to possess. We see this woman of the city, a sinner. We see that... that that she is interacting with Jesus in what might seem to us to be a strange way. At his feet, you go, how how is that working out 
at his feet. Well, again, the customs of, of the Middle East, especially in this time frame, are much different than ours. Well, we would go into a meal and we would sit in upright seating, in chairs, at a flat table, a high table. And that's not how they would congregate around a meal. In fact, their, their tables would be low setting. They would have uh, some type of pallet for the, the guests to sit on and a pillow in which they would lean toward the table on their elbow, on the pillow, with their feet lounging behind them. Why? Because their feet were dirty, their feet were stinky, their feet were, were not presentable. That wasn't what you wanted to have right there near the food. And so they would recline away from the food and toward, and, and they would be leaning. It, it, it gives context when we read the Gospel of John, when in in the, in the Last Supper, John says that he was leaning against the breast of Jesus. It would have been very natural if Jesus was laying here and John was laying there for John to just kind of lay back on him and just listen to him talk. That would have been very normal. That would have been very common in that time. And the Scripture tells us that this woman, who is described only as a sinner, is weeping at the feet of Jesus. And her tears are constantly falling as, as, as they're falling on his feet. And she's taken her hair down and she's wiping the tears on his feet as she's cleaning his feet through her tears and her hair. You're just imagining this scene and everybody's seeing this. She's weeping and I'm sure it wasn't a silent weep. Not only is she making a scene of herself not only is she humiliating herself by what she's doing the scripture says that she has brought with her an alabaster flask full of ointment and in that that little that that jewel like ointment is is a very expensive perfume uh, again what i read says that the ingredients in this perfume would have come probably from the nation of india the region of india it would have been very expensive to transport the ingredients from there to israel and then to be um, uh, created into the ointment it would have been a very expensive process and a very expensive ointment the scripture says not only is she weeping at the feet of jesus She's wiping his feet with her hair. And she's taking that expensive perfume. And she's anointing his feet. As she's there kissing his feet. I'm not going to ask of you how many have a foot phobia. But I know you're in the room. I know you're in the room and you're just like, honey... Get those away from me. And she's your spouse. He's your spouse. I've often wondered what it is about someone going into the medical field that causes them to say, you know what I think I want to do? I think I want to be a podiatrist. I think I just want to handle folks' feet all day long. Just probably not going to be very high on my list of options. Why? Because feet stink feet if i can use the word at times are funky and you know they are because you know yours are and especially if you've been walking around in your sandals all day long you're sweating they're dusty they're gross 
You're not going to find any type of, of loving embrace if you throw your nasty feet up on your special person's lap. Because they're gross. And yet, this woman, broken, weeping, tears streaming, with her own hair, she's wiping them. Kissing his feet and anointing them with oil. This is a broken woman. She's been broken by the culture she lives in. She's, she's been abused. She's been ridiculed. She's been forgotten. She's been set off to the side and, and, and is seen as unclean. Yet her weeping shows her sorrow. Her posture shows her submission. The use of her hair that, I believe it's 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about that being the glory of a woman. The use of her hair shows her utter humility. Her kisses reveal her love and her use of the expensive ointment demonstrates the honor and worship she desires to show. This traveling rabbi from Nazareth. Does anything good come from Nazareth? And have you heard it said that even his parents weren't married when she became with child? And yet she's honoring him and worshiping him broken why because of her sin when she looked into the mirror you know what she saw brokenness she saw sin and she saw a great gap between her and her God but on this one Jesus she was pouring herself out but not only the broken sinner, we see this pompous critic. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, notice that the scripture says, he said to himself, he's thinking this. He's not saying this out loud. He's pondering as he's watching Jesus and he sees the woman and he notices that Jesus doesn't do what he would have done. And that was pull his feet away from her, scold her, maybe ridicule her, maybe force some of the people to get her away from me. Because doesn't it say in the law of Moses that when a defiled person touches you that you become defiled as well? And so that Pharisee thinking in those ways saw Jesus and thought in himself... As he's, as he's thinking, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. Because she's a sinner. How can he not know this? How can he not be aware of this? Oh, makes perfect sense. Everybody's saying that he's a prophet. He can't be a prophet. 
Not only is he being defiled by the sinner, but he's breaking the law as a false prophet. It seems to be the way this man is is thinking. It's Pharisee, we're going to learn, is, is named Simon. But as you read the Gospels, you're going to see in Matthew 26 and Mark chapter 14, you're going to see another scene where Jesus is in the home of someone named Simon, and there's going to be another anointing of Jesus with expensive perfume. That's a totally different thing. That's in the house of Simon the leper, and it's going to be Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who's doing that anointing. This is only in the book of Luke. Luke only gives us this. Don't confuse the two Simons. One's a Pharisee, one's a former leper. And since lepers don't get cured, I'm assuming Jesus must have cured that one in in Matthew and Mark and John. This in Luke is different. We learn his name is Simon. And it's unknown to us why Simon invited Jesus in. Because just a few chapters earlier, when Jesus healed on the Sabbath day, and basically looked at the Pharisees while he's healing on the Sabbath day, they in turn decided, we don't want him, we don't like him, we're not going to support him, we're going to spend all of our time and effort to get rid of this Jesus from Nazareth. But yet this Pharisees invited him in. We don't know why he invited him in. Maybe he was curious. Maybe he had spent some time with Nicodemus who had talked about visiting Jesus at night and hearing amazing things. And maybe he thought, well, I'll hear some of those things as well. Maybe it's possible that this particular Pharisee just wanted to get Jesus in his house so that he could see if he could trap him. Maybe what that Pharisee was seeing with his own eyes was the trap, the information, all that he needed to take to his cronies and say, He was defiled by a sinner, calling himself a prophet. He should have known. There it is. Let's just publicize this. We'll be rid of the one from Nazareth. What the scripture says is he was thinking to himself. Through the lens of self-righteous judgment. Looking at the woman, comparing her to himself when this one looked in the mirror you know what he saw he saw a guy who had everything under control i'm fulfilling the law i'm being obedient i'm right with god how do i know because i have this position i have this power i have this wealth and opportunity before me obviously god is pleased with me i'm walking in the righteousness that is mine by my obedience to the law and comparing himself to her through the lens of self-righteous judgment he surmised this woman to be worthless a cast out a no good someone to just simply be removed from the presence of those of us who are walking in righteousness. And he redefined that prophet, that Savior, as this pompous critic sat before the Lord deciding what was true and what was false. As he's thinking this, Jesus answered him saying, Simon, I have something I want to tell you. And the Pharisee says, speak on teacher. 
having no idea that Jesus knew his thoughts, knew what he was thinking, knew what he was deciding, knew what he was evaluating, and Jesus told a parable. We're going to see a lot of these in the Gospel of Luke. More parables in Luke than any other gospel. Here he tells a parable of a certain money lender, a banker, someone who has resources and is lending for the purpose of making a profit. He said a certain money lender had two debtors. He had loaned money to this one, and he had loaned money to this one. This one he had loaned 500 denarii. Now, a denarius was, the, was a coin of silver, and it represented about a day's wage for a common laborer. So it would be about a year and a half worth of, of salary, of wages. A, a pretty good chunk of money. Probably not something you have laying around. Now, if you've saved a year's worth of your salary, then God bless you. That's awesome. But most folks don't have that. Most folks don't even have a fraction of that. This one owed a year and a half, 500 denarii. This one, however, he had lended 50 denarii. So about a month and a half worth of normal wages for a common laborer. Now again, not a small amount of money. Don't have it in my pocket right now. But probably not as difficult to get your hands on in a pinch. The bottom line is Jesus is making a contrast. One owed the lender much. The other owed the lender much less. When both could not pay, the money lender very well could have cast them both into debtor's prison from where they would be suffering as long as it took for the family to gather up the money they owed. That would have been a common price. I can't pay your debt. Well, there's no bankruptcy in that Roman system. You just went to debtor's prison, which was a very uncomfortable place to be. You might even be sold into slavery if your debt was enough while your family and your own labor is trying to come up with what you owe. But when neither could pay, Jesus says, the money lender canceled both of their debts. Now, Simon, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think loved the lender more? Simon goes, I got this. I guess the one who owed him more. And I just, not in a smart aleck way, I just imagine that Jesus was like, Good job, Simon. I knew you were sharp. Excellent. You got the right answer. Verse 44, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. You see this woman? I don't know how you see her. Actually, I do know how you see her. When I came into your house, you gave me no water to wash my feet. You said, what, what, what's that all about? Well, because the people either were barefoot or wore very crude sandal-type shoes on their feet, their feet would get muddy, their feet would get dirty, their feet would get sweaty and stinky and salty and just stepping in all sorts of things because they didn't have cars, they had animals and stuff. Okay, 
She would go into a house, and what would be the most common form of hospitality? There would be a bowl or a basin with water and a towel so that you could stick your feet over into the water and just be refreshed. Sometimes when, uh, when, when I'm cutting grass, sometimes I'll wear my Crocs and I'm weed-eating, and you know what happens. Your, your feet just get covered with grass clippings, and you know, from the knees down, you're green if you're, you know, you're doing all that kind of stuff. There's just nothing quite like spraying your feet off at the water hose, with one exception. The one thing that's better than that, although it's going to create a mess, is when you step over into the swimming pool, and you just go bloop, bloop, and you just like, uh, you don't have to get in the whole thing. You don't have to swim. It's just feet in, and you're just like, yes. Okay, well, that was the same kind of refreshment that they would feel. And it was just a common form of hospitality. For this one to not offer Jesus to have his feet washed was a pretty good indication that this Pharisee wasn't interested in really welcoming Jesus into his home. He just kind of allowed him to come in. And, and, and you know, in our life group, it's the, the, our, our life group folks know that the rule is you don't knock anymore. You just, you know, you come in. Some of them knock and come in. But how rude is it when someone comes to the door and it's not that kind of relationship and you're just like, yeah, yeah, come on. No, you go to the door, you welcome them in. He wasn't welcome. Jesus, you, you see this woman? You see her down at my feet. You didn't offer me a, a water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears. You're surmising how much more spiritually uh, 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 superior you are to her. You didn't even offer me the simple hospitality. She's making up for what you lacked in her own brokenness. In, in her own understanding of her sinfulness, she's doing for me what you were unwilling to do. You gave me no kiss. Verse 45. We've been common for greeting a guest with the, you know, kiss on both sides. Again, not, not our deal. You know, we don't do that. And, you know, some of y'all don't even like a hug. You can see it going in. You come in for the hug, and you stiffen up, and you, you'll take it, but you don't like it. You wouldn't last in that because, I mean, you're kissing, and it's just, anyway, not, not probably a good pandemic thing. But that would have been common as a courteous welcome. I'm glad you're here. Here, wash your face. You gave me no bowl of water. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, from the time I got seated, she came out of the shadows and she's not stopped kissing my feet. Verse 46. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Your skin in a dry climate begins to crack. You know, you just feel yucky. You, you, you go in after a, a long day at Disney, you probably have looked for, for bathroom after bathroom just to go in and just take some water and splash on and just, you know, just freshen up. Water for your feet, 
kiss as a welcome, and then as a means to provide some refreshment, they would take a little olive oil and they would offer it to you for you just to kind of rub in your hair, just to kind of kind of absorb and, and, and get into some of that those those follicles and whatnot, just to kind of freshen you up from the parched heat you've been living in. Simon, you, you didn't even offer me the courtesy of oil to just refresh myself. And yet this woman, she's been anointing my feet with expensive perfume. Love for Jesus depends on one's self-awareness of their sin. And a belief that he has the ability to change it. Why, did she, why was she demonstrating such an extravagant, humiliating even, love for Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because she knew her sin. She, she knew she was not worthy. And she believed that this one could address it. Maybe it had gotten to her ears about the one who had been lame and let down through the roof making a mess. Couldn't get into the house where Jesus was. They let him down. He, he, he couldn't walk. Everybody was expecting him to be healed immediately. And what did Jesus say to him? Your sins are forgiven. Stirred up the whole place. Started the whole ball rolling against Jesus by the Pharisees. He forgave his sins? Well, of course, what would be easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? So that you'll understand that I have the authority to forgive his sins, I'm going to say, stand up, roll up your bed, and go home. Man stands up, demonstrating that not only that Jesus had the power to heal him, but Jesus had the authority to forgive him. Maybe that had gotten to this woman. That not only is he able to heal, but he's able to forgive. And, and I have so much that I need forgiving of. I'm such, a, I'm such a defiled human being. I want to be right with God, but they'll never let me worship in that place that they run me out of every time I go. There's no path to forgiveness for me, but maybe he's got one. And there she was. Loving Jesus because she knew her sin and she believed he could address it. On the other side of the coin, denial of one's own sinfulness always results in contempt for the broken. Get away from me. And a disinterest in the good news. Because that Pharisee thought he had it all under control. He could evaluate others against himself, hold himself in high esteem, and be rid of those who did not qualify according to his evaluation. And what interest did he have in the good news? What, 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 do you, what are you going to tell me, Jesus, that I don't already know? Not only that, you're probably a false prophet, don't even know what you're talking about. The reality of this of this illustration is that no one of us has less sin than the other. We all have far more indebtedness than just a year and a half wages of sin. We have an e 
an, 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 an unlimited amount of debt in our sin. But some think they have less. And that gentleman's name is Simon. The woman knew her need was great and came broken, seeking Jesus for God's mercy. The Pharisee considered himself to be sufficiently righteous and intentionally dishonored Jesus by withholding common hospitality. Because I think Jesus knew his words weren't sinking in. He turned to the woman. Verse number 48. As she's weeping, as she's wiping, as she's kissing and anointing the Lord, the Savior, as she's coming to him in full submission, he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. I like to think that he maybe even kind of sat up. I like to think that maybe he even reached down to her head and lifted her chin up so that she could see him eye to eye. Knowing what he had just said, hearing what he had just said to this Pharisee, and in the silence of that room, hey, you're forgiven. Just let the weight of her sin roll off of you. Defiled. Hopeless. Helpless. Incapable of approaching the holiness that is our God. And yet from the lips of God the Son, He says, hey, you're forgiven. Not those that were sitting listening, either to themselves or under their breath, began to say, Who does this guy think he is? Well, he's just going to say her sins are forgiven? Who in the world does he think he is? I'm going to tell you who he thinks he is. He's the one who was crucified from eternity past. You see, he can write that check and you can cash it because as far as he's concerned, he was already crucified and risen. He just needed a little time to show everybody else God's plan that was going to unfold just like he said, just like God promised. This one who was going to pay for her sin wrote the check on the eternal fact of his death in her place. For her sin. Jesus doesn't look at her and say, I accept who you are and I condone what you do. Not it at all. The culture we live in, the, 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 the arena that Christianity is, is living in right now, the, the pushback we're going to get is, you can't say you love me if you don't affirm what I do and say. And and, and, and they're going to use Jesus as the reason we can't. Because Jesus was constantly the friend of tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. Jesus accepted everybody. And he did. But he didn't condone their sin. In fact, it cost him 
his life. And when we come to Jesus, we come with full expression of the knowledge of our sin. He accepts us as sinners, but he transforms us by his grace. And Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you, verse 50. Go in peace. You think she went home different than she came? Do you think she might have had a different expression on her face than when she got there? Do you think she might have leapt for joy as she's going? Do you think she might have twirled around in expression of thanksgiving that she's been looked at by the Savior and forgiven by His own Word in front of everybody? Do you think she was changed that day? Do you think she went right back home and jumped right back into the same stuff that she was in? (laughs) No way. But I guarantee you she went home and found some of her girlfriends and said, y'all listen, there's a way out. There's a way to be changed. There's a way to be whole. His name's Jesus. Come on, I'll show you where he's at. We don't have it. John, John the Apostle in his gospel said, if we wrote down everything that Jesus ever did and said, well, we, the books in the whole world couldn't contain all of that. So I just like to imagine she didn't just go, okay, cool, and go back home. I just imagine she walked with a weightlessness that she'd never walked with before and with a desire to bring as many of her crowd to meet the Savior. We see the broken center, the pompous critic. Now let's look at the forgiving Savior. Is Jesus a friend of tax collectors and sinners? Oh, you bet he is. And, and, and he's a, a friend of adulterers, and he's a friend of embezzlers, and he's a friend of, you, you, you name, whatever your sin, he, he's a, a sin of, of those who, are, who talk ugly and those who cheat on their taxes. And Yeah, he's a friend of all of those. What I'm saying is, is that no one will ever be so immersed in sin that Jesus would go, yeah, I'm just not going to be able to help you because, I mean, you just fart. No. Jesus is the friend of the broken. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that's good news because that's every one of us. We're just as broken as that woman. If we don't think we are, we're looking through the lens of Simon's judgmental self-righteousness. Jesus accepted the woman. He didn't condone her sin. Jesus sees the woman through the eyes of love and grace and mercy and compassion. Jesus knew the need and the heart of both, and he would have forgiven both. But only she was acting through a heart of repentance, a heart of submission, a heart of humility. Jesus states his authority. He can forgive sins. He does forgive sins. He will today 
forgive sins. And here's the thing. Everybody who came in today came in with, with some kind of sin account. You say, what, what, what does that mean? Okay. Every one of us has come into the building today either having been forgiven like this woman of the city and yet through the, the daily activities, the weekly struggles, the fights at work, the struggles with finances, all of those things, we still wrestle with sin. We're, we're either someone who's up to our nose having never been forgiven or we're someone who's been forgiven and yet struggles daily with the sins of the day. The great news from this is that we are in front of a Savior who will address both. If it is that you're here today and, and, and you resonate most with the woman at the feet of Jesus going, I, I just, I don't have any hope. I don't know what to do. And I heard somebody say something about Jesus. And I'm just hoping that maybe he'll show me some attention. I don't know. I got good news. And that is, he knows you. And he sees you. And he loves you. And he accepts you. And he'll save you. If you're willing to submit yourself to him. And the great thing is, he'll change you. Some of it will be overnight. Some of it may take years and years and years. But he'll never stop working on you. Because he's not stopped working on me. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, today needs to be the day. He died in your place because of your sin. He took that on as a perfect pure substitute acceptable to God he was as pure as we are wicked and he took on our sin on the cross paid for it completely fully was buried but on the third day rose victorious why to prove that his sacrifice was sufficient to demonstrate for you and me that death cannot keep him the hell cannot overpower him, and your sin is not too much for him. And he's alive today. The victorious Savior, ready to bring you into the family, if just by faith. You'll see yourself like that woman. Broken before him. God, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe you raised him from the dead, and I believe you did that for me. I confess Jesus as crucified and risen. I want him as my Savior. That could be you today. But, but all the rest of us, we, we all came in with a bucket of sin. Here's the good news. Jesus would love to say, yeah, I forgive you that. You know what he wants from us? Confession. Hey, God, I messed up this week. A bunch. In a lot of different ways. Is that forgiveness still available for me? Because I sure would. I've been, I've been weighing under this. I've been trying to hide this. And I just need to, I need to confess this so that I need to get it forgiven. I need to walk in freedom. You can go home in peace today too. If you just let Jesus take your sin and forgive it. Confess it. Say what he says about it. 
Let him forgive it. Be done with it. Move forward. Oh, there's some other lessons we can learn. Let's, let's, don't, let's don't look through the lens of, of self-righteous judgment like that Pharisee. Let's decide that we're going to start seeing people around us, not in comparison to us, but as folks for which Jesus died, as folks for whom Jesus loves, and as folks that Jesus wants to minister to through us. We can learn those lessons too. But the bottom line is, how are you going to leave from here having heard from the Savior? I hope you leave with peaceful excitement. Having been forgiven, having been brought in the family, or having had your bucket emptied, go out for the next week to serve him. Well, that's our opportunity today is just meet with him. Let's pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just let God's word do what it was meant to do in your heart. What's he saying to you? Receive him, trust him, give him your heart and life if you've never experienced the forgiveness of your sin. Let him bring you into the family. And if you're in the family, let him clean you up. Let him wash your feet. Let him refresh you today. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be together as a family. Father, may Oasis Church always be a place that folks are accepted. Folks are seen as image bearers of yours. God, give us the courage to, in our acceptance, not to get caught up in the trap that says that we have to also say what your word says is wrong is right. We can't do that. We've got to maintain an integrity around the scripture. But we can love folks. May Oasis Church always be a place that folks come and find themselves among friends. And may it also be a place that clearly and boldly says what you say through your word. Calling people to walk as you've called us to walk. God, I pray for those who may be here today who have never trusted Jesus. May they not go home in the same shape. But may they go home forgiven, at peace, having come into contact with your son. I pray for my brothers and sisters. May they leave from here today refreshed, encouraged, ready to continue in the calling that you've given us to make disciples. To love folks like Jesus and to point others to him. May that be our passion this week and every day to come. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for using us. 